0: Legenda por So, uh, I was thinking about this and I have no clue what we should uh, talk about, Will. So, I just think uh, we just have a chat about Levadas. Yeah. Let's
1: see. just see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you said you didn't want to talk about biography. So, I could. Oh, no, I'm you.
1: not very. Uh, I'm pretty. I love Heidegger's statement. What was it? Was it his lectures on Aristotle? I can't remember. But I think he pretty much says Aristotle were, was born and he died. Now let's talk about his philosophy.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, uh, yeah, did John Hagelin do that, didn't he? Heidegger, Heidegger was born, he, was, uh, he became a Nazi, he died, and in the middle he wrote some good philosophy. <laughs> yeah,
1: about that, yeah, that's what I tend to think. I'm not, I'm not particularly interested. I mean, you can, and nowadays you can find out about anything you want to know about Levinas in terms of his biography on, on, uh, on the, the internet.
0: And yeah.
1: It's you, you your friend.
0: Yeah, although so it's I, suppose, all, yeah. I suppose the Nietzschean point is there, isn't it? The all philosophy is biography of a sort. I don't know.
1: Yeah, but that's, I mean, I suppose it's what you mean by biography. It, he just certainly doesn't mean facts about somebody's life, does he?
0: No, no, see. he's not talking about like an accumulation of uh, facts about someone's life. He's talking yeah. about I mean, how I would... the lived biography reflects the philosophy, I guess, yeah.
1: Yeah, but I would say... A, each of us are anonymous in our own way and that's what's interesting about people there's something about Patrick that has nothing to do with Patrick and that's what is, is interesting.
0: is you're telling about.
1: me yeah I'm telling you about yourself <laughs> you know <laughs> I think that's, a very, that's a very Levinasian point because uh, you know the way that we label people and objectify them and reduce them to facts is precisely the opposite of what he considers ethics to be so you know I don't think you know, I, I could say, "Oh, Patrick, yeah, he's Irish." <laughs> you know, that really affects his philosophy. I think what? <laughs> What's most interesting about Patrick is not the fact he's Irish. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: no. <laughs> uh, well, that's. I, I suppose that's a good, good sort of Levinasian point. Is that he? he's he's yeah. he's trying to take ethics anti-categorically.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, one. I think you know, one of the difficulties is understanding Levinas is the way that he thinks about ethics is not traditionally the way that people think right. about ethics at all. And so uh, if you come to Levinas without a kind of traditional conception of ethics, you'll just you'll just think, well what the hell is going on here? He doesn't tell anybody how to live. He doesn't appear to have any codes or directions or anything that corresponds to the teaching of applied ethics. And so it, it is it does seem very peculiar to most people.
0: Yeah. So his yeah, so when you compare him to the the great ethical systems, and you know that we usually in philosophy, as you know, we kind of have the big three. Like you got uh, utilitarianism, uh, you got deontology, and Kant, and you got Aristotle's virtue ethics, and all of those are motivated by some kind of normative uh, dimension. You know, they're they're motivated by giving reasons for action or moral action or giving uh, sort of guidelines or giving uh, giving you uh, uh, principles to guide sort of your normative behavior but he's not doing that
1: no i mean i i agree with you totally he's not it's not it's not a in those terms i would say that the traditional way of thinking about morality is in terms of philosophy of action so, you know, it's about how you, how you justify uh, decisions, moral choices and moral judgments. So if you think about the two classic forms, it's about how the self, starting with the self, so some kind of mechanism of rationality that ends with a kind of justification. So utilitarianism sees moral actions in terms of outcomes. And uh, deontology can not be, of course, the most famous representative of that, seems actions uh, moral choices are determined in terms of principles. And it's not a surprise, really, that you only have two moral theories because actually there are only two possibilities if you think about uh, self and relation to actions. Either you start with the self first, principles, or you look at the outcomes of acts, utilitarianism. The the, the the kind of fly in the ointment there, of course, is, is virtue theory. And again, it's no surprise, I don't think, thinking about historically, how there's been, especially in analytic philosophy, a turn towards neo-aristotelianism, precisely because of people's conception of the inadequacy of both deontology and consequentialism.
0: That's right. I mean, uh, Paul Mason, um, the, uh, well, uh, journalist, I guess, but uh, yeah. also Marxist theoretician, I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, his most recent book is an effort to reclaim Aristotle for Marxism, as I understand it.
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, I haven't read the book, but it doesn't it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, peculiarly, we started the conversation with Heidegger, and of course, one way of understanding Heidegger is a kind of reformulation of Aristotelian ethics. And so I think, I mean, so virtue theory, I think, is is a bit more difficult in relation to Levinas. I don't think I've read anybody discussing virtue theory in Levinas, but I do think you could possibly... Give a, a kind of virtue theory view of Levinas in the same way, in a sense, you know, you, there's virtue theory readings of Nietzsche. So I think virtue theory is a little bit more complex in terms of that relation to Levinas. But of course, you'd have to completely rethink about what you meant by virtue and how you would understand virtue. Virtue ethics is much closer to what I understand what I understand ethics to be, and I'd like to distinguish ethics from morality because virtue theory, I would say, is a kind of ontological understanding of ethics. It starts with what is the meaning of human existence,
0: uh, right? So the the the, the, uh, the naturalistic fallacy is, uh, well, it's less of a fallacy in that situation. You know, the yeah. there's no separation, or ne- you know, there's no radical separation between is and ought. You know, so
1: exactly in so, virtue think, theory, you're yeah.
0: it's what it's what you are informs what you ought to do. I guess.
1: Exactly. And so in, in one sense, I would say you can understand Levinas' ethics coming out of uh, ontology. So if, so, in that way, you know, you read some, some virtue theorists like, I don't know, Philippa Foote and people like that, or uh, especially those ones who are classicists.
0: Yeah, and sometimes
1: William. you read them and you think, my God, this sounds like Heidegger. Because they see understand ethics as about a, a, what is a flourishing life, what is a fully formed life, and you could think about that in terms of the language of authenticity, so I mean you're pushing it a bit, but you could and so one way of thinking about Levinas is he's in dialogue with that kind of way of thinking about uh, the what is the what is a what is what what is a well what is a how can one say it what is a meaningful human life uh, which I think certain kinds of virtue theory begin with.
0: Well, one thing then that interests me there is that we're kind of talking in an ontological Heideggerian register there. Mm. You know, we're talking about uh, ethics as informed by uh, sort of our metaphysical status or what we are and how that can be transformed. Mm. But isn't it the case that Levinas, or uh, maybe the later Levinas at least, is very, very critical of Heidegger?
1: Yeah, but I mean, in a certain sense... To understand Levinas, you kind of have to understand what he's being critical of. And I think for me, it's understanding that that gets you, it gives you a way into Levinas. What's what's at stake here, I think, is something fundamental about how we understand ourselves as human beings. Um, And it's not about values in the sense of people ordinarily understand ethics as we started the conversation. Normally people think about ethics, they think about it in terms of moral judgments. You know, what, what I what all I to do now? If you were to read Levinas and I hope that he would tell you what your view should be on, uh, I don't know, what is a current moral debate? I don't, abortion, for example. There's nothing in Levinas that would actually give you any kind of direction in that sense. It's not. A, it's not a. It's not a, any kind of manual, is it?
0: There's no prescriptions.
1: There's no prescriptions no.
0: and that no. word is interesting, right? Because isn't it like prescription and kind of all the other. Well, nominally at least the other uh, ethical theories are prescriptive as in they Yeah. They prescribe what you ought to do in advance of uh yeah. doing of it, yeah.
1: Exactly. And it's interesting again that virtue theory doesn't do that. I mean virtue you can't you know, if you think about like Martha Nussbaum, Fragility of Goodness, one of the things she's saying is no, virtue theory is not a manual. There isn't there isn't a textbook of of ethics. So I think that's why I would say that that yes, it's true that, that Levinas is um, is in dialogue with Heidegger, but you by it's only through Heidegger that you can actually understand what's at stake for, for Levinas, and it's something fundamental. So, yeah, So, if you read like Levinas, and let's leave the later uh, Levinas a bit to the side because it's quite difficult. If you read like Totality Infinity, the fir- Levinas's uh, first uh, major work, then really you can understand it as a rereading of the first part of Being in Time.
0: Yeah and do you think then that there are areas that he's reticent about Heidegger even if he's kind of transforming sort of phenomenological phenomenology and phenomenological ethics and kind of Heidegger's? Yeah.
1: I would see that Levinas's relation to Heidegger is similar to Heidegger's relationship to Husserl when when um when Heidegger says that when he distinguishes his, his conception of fundamental ontology uh, in the kind of concrete phenomenological analysis of the first part of being in time, he isn't rejecting Husserl's more theoretical outlook. He's just saying that that theoretical outlook is dependent on something more, uh, on his terms anyway, more, something more profound, something deeper. In the same way, I say, with Levinas, he's not rejecting Heidegger. He's not rejecting Heideggerian ontology as a description of uh, a concrete relationship to the world. He's just, uh, again, like Heidegger, saying whether it's fundamental. So if you look at totality infinity, he's in one sense saying that there there is something lacking in Heidegger's phenomenological analysis of being in time. But also he's saying that um, for him... Our ontological relations to the world are actually dependent on the ethical relation to the other. So, where, so he wants, if you like, he wants to dig deeper than Heidegger. He wants to say that Heidegger's existential analysis is actually dependent on ethics. So, he, that's what it means when Levinas says ethics is first philosophy. But you can only understand what that statement means through, uh, I would say, Heidegger's. Uh, phenomenological analysis.
0: Right, so that then means I think that for Levinas, as what we are first and foremost is ethical beings. You know, yeah,
1: with yeah, ethical. I mean, he doesn't even really want to say being. So that's yeah, right, a, right, right. Yeah, so uh, you know, so if you look at the way that um, uh, totality and affinity is organised, the first part of totality and affinity is a concrete analysis of uh subjectivity so it, it follows methodologically speaking it's kind of very similar to being in time the difference is that that Levinas says that heidegger just thinks about their self as though it exists in the world of work now so it, you know the, the in order to analysis of uh, being in time Uh, You know, I get up in the morning, I have a shower, I have breakfast in order to catch a train, in order to get to work, you know, and then fundamentally I get to what's the fundamental towards which, in which all these in order to's are connected, and that's my world. Levinas says, well, that's a very work way of thinking of world, uh, which is very influenced by Heidegger's Heidegger's Phenomenological Readings of Aristotle, and... Levinas kind of says, well, there's a way we live in the world, which is even more, which is this work world is dependent upon, which he calls enjoyment, which interestingly is kind of closer to Spinoza, but it's an ontological investigation of subjectivity, most, which people don't kind of miss out, which is half of what totality infinity is about, in a very French way, I suppose, he says, well, first of all, we enjoy our world. And that enjoyment, the, the work world, is on top of that uh, world of enjoyment.
0: Right. So, and then that would explain why he would be, say, reticent about, say, something like utilitarian ethics, because, of course, utilitarian ethics is premised on, well, the pursuit of pleasure at a very, very simple level. You know, the idea yeah, of. I
1: mean, yeah, Levinas would say, I think Levinas would say that, if you like, there are. There are there just, he agrees with Heidegger that the theoretical world, the world of comprehension and rationality is built onto the world of work. Now, Levinas says, you know, in some way, you, which, which is why some of these political distinctions are a bit creepy, he says, some way, you could say that Heidegger's a very Marxist. Um, you know, Heidegger is saying the world of thought, the way that Husserl analyzes consciousness as being essentially theoretical,
0: the world practical. is built on more practical concerns.
1: Yeah, My, that engagement, the ready to hand. Yeah. Whereas what Levinas is saying is that the, 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 the world of work, the ready to hand, is actually itself it's dependent on the world of enjoyment, which it is in, in no way. But I think he would, would situate utilitarianism in the, in the rational world, the world of objectivity, the theoretical. You know. Both of these, both Heidegger and Levinas, think that theory always comes after the fact.
0: Right, yeah, so e- ethics cannot really be based on, well, one, uh, practical concerns, or at, or at least it's ethics is more fundamental than practical concerns. It cannot yeah. be based on, say, something like uh, empirical properties. You know, you can't reduce uh, yeah. the ethical person to, say, uh, uh, class properties, that's, like, yeah, I don't know, so racial, that, yeah. sexual, yeah. lazy, whatever.
1: Yeah. But, but Levinas takes that all from Heidegger. You know that you know, he accepts that heidegger's concrete phenomenology uh, he doesn't yeah you know, that's where he begins so that's why you would never find in Levinas a long engagement with uh psychology biology sociology because he's already accepted that that analysis in being in time you know the section on that uh, on the difference between general and regional sciences you know that you know the philosophy is not a substitute for a scientific investigation and they're, they're just two different discourses. So yeah. it's already he's already accepted all that stuff. So the, the key issue for Levinas is that what you have to understand from totality infinity is that ethics is the interruption of the world of enjoyment. Uh,
0: if ethics is subordinate to enjoyment, then you are enjoying the other, which is sort of bespeaks some kind of a uh, relationship which is uh, at least m- manipulative or controlling in some way.
1: I don't think Levinas would. I don't think Levinas would necessarily think enjoying the other is manipulative because he has long, you know, he has a long section of eroticism, and he doesn't think eroticism means end relationship. so I don't think he, you know, I, I don't think that Levinas thinks in the world of enjoyment. I, I think Levinas would say it's, it's before ethics. It's not. It's neither. It's not unethical. It doesn't necessarily mean the relations of dominance. And, is, is there a uh,
0: distinction between? Pleasure not, and eros, say, you know, pleasure and enjoyment. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because, and, and the erotic for Levinas, and, the, you know, it's a kind of peculiar section that's just added at the end of Total Infinity, but it's closer to some of the things he writes in Time and the Other, that uh, the relationship to the other in terms of erotics is not an instrumental relationship. The erotic other, in some sense, withdraws itself from the, from the, from the relation.
0: Plato so there's Plato at work sense, here.
1: Yeah, Plato's, yeah, some of Plato's definitely uses the language of Plato, but it's a phenomenological, so he, he wants to, you know, the truth in the end is whether it rings true with your experience, but he wants to say, in the erotic night, the other, uh, some always escapes my grasp.
0: Right, so that's interesting, so the language of escape is, um, is uh, something, escape and evasion yeah. is something very, very important for Levinas, is that right? Yeah.
1: It is, yeah. So that's right from the very beginning. But it's not it, – it, still, he doesn't think that relationship is ethical. Ethical is something else because in ethics, even in totality and infinity, it kind of changes a bit later on. Ethics is based in speech, whereas eroticism is not of us.: and, lo- and by speech, you mean? Eroticism is about bodies. It's not, it's not, a, it's not based in speech. And ethics – in ethics, the other makes a claim on me in speech and that's what makes it different from the erotic.
0: Okay. So maybe if we talked a bit more about sort of totality infinity then, which is um which you've written an introduction to is that right? I have, yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh it's textbook in the world on totality infinity. <laughs> and you know why I, don't I can doubt say
0: it. that?
1: You know but you know why I can say that?
0: Because it's the only one.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh Still, Um but OK, so well, so totality, infinity kind of comes mid-career for Levin as I think a, a 1961, if I recall. I'm not Something sure if that number is right. That. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's uh, it's it's generally accepted as his his masterwork. Um, yeah. So if we could talk about his project there, um beyond yeah, what you've I mean, already said, what is the I mean, what is the totality and what is the infinity? I know that's the whole book, but.
1: To connect it to what we've already been talking about, totality means ontology for Levinas. Uh, And infinity obviously means ethics. So the question for Levinas is: how does the world, how is my world of enjoyment interrupted by the demand of the other? That that that's what ethics essentially is for Levinas. In other words, for Levinas, if my if the world of enjoyment was not interrupted or could not be interrupted by the demand of the other, then there would be no ethics. And the beginning of Totality, Infinity talks about war and ontology, and the key question for Levinas says is, you know, is ethics possible? And he sees that as mess- messianic and eschatological. What he means by that is that the ethics is the, is the uh, interruption of the ontological. So, concretely speaking, I think one of the best ways that I think about it is not something Levinas says, it's something Deleuze says, which is profoundly Levanasian, and it's in um, in Abbe Seder, those kind of little mini interviews that he did.
0: Oh, the film uh, ones, yeah,
1: yeah. And it's on the section called Governmentality, and Levan and sorry, not Levinas. Deleuze says, you know, he's saying says uh, all politics is finished now. He says there's no difference between the left and the right. It's all because of both it's all about governmentality. Just one side saying they'll 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 manage the economy more efficiently than the other, but there's no real real a uh, difference of ideology, and he says politics is finished. Uh, but Sorry, he Deleuze,
0: says, "Deleuze does, yeah."
1: Deleuze says, but he says that's not the real. The real distinction is, he says, it's ethical, and that's where this Levinasian moment is. He says, he says there are two types of people in this world, and I love when philosophers say that. <laughs> two, there's only two types of people. Uh, but, uh, so, and uh, Deleuze says, there's those people who start with themselves and work outwards to the world. And there are others who work from the viewpoint of the world and back to themselves. So those people, that's very apposite in, uh, in the time of Brexit, you start with their, 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 their room, their house, their street, uh, their city, their nation, and they work outwards. You know. And they say, this is my place under the sun. This is mine. How dare the others come and take this from, from me? And then Levinas says, uh, sorry, Deleuze says, and then there are other people who start the other ways. And he says, like, uh, imagine like a, uh, a rock being thrown into a pond, but the circles are coming towards the rock. And so it's like they start from the, the, the furthest point away and work back. And I, that's what I think Levinas is saying the second moment, Starting the first, you know, so you go into—I know to put it prosaically—you know, you go into a, into a, into a department store, and you're thinking of buying the latest uh, uh, sports uh, sports footwear. I don't know, Puma or Adidas, and then you think, oh, maybe these these shoes are made by poor people in uh, Vietnam, and they live miserable lives, and here I am in the West enjoying the fruits of that. That for me. That thought would be an ethical moment. You're, you're letting your world, your selfish, egotistical world, be interrupted by the uh, demand of the other.
0: And the alternative is, well, from the way you were saying it, is rather strikes me as a, what uh, Daniel Kahneman would call, uh, sorry, another Jewish, great Jewish writer, I guess, yes. but he would call sort of availability bias, as in, you know, the, the, the world we inhabit is... Uh, You know, I think Kahneman says uh, what you see is what there is as a bias. Like, you know, so you take your immediate experience as as the story of all. Whereas Levinas is saying, actually, no, that's only a very small part. And what we need to find is the moments where that story is interrupted.
1: Exactly. And so, you know, so he understands ontology through Heidegger. So we're not talking about ontology in terms of essences and substances. We're talking about ontology in terms of existence. So he, that's how he understands it. So whenever Levinas is talking about ontology, he's talking about the first part of being in time, how Heidegger turns ontology into uh, the question of the meaning of existence of Dasein and how that's related to the meaning of being in general, and how then Heidegger anal- analyzes uh, Dasein's being in terms of a concrete world, the world, you know, what he calls the worldhood of the world. But what Levinas says, if you look at Heidegger's analysis, the other and, and it's a very important part of Heidegger's now being with. The other is just part of my world. It's just one more element within my world, how I make sense of my world. You know, so Heidegger says, you know, I can relate to others authentically uh, and I free them for their possibilities. Hannah Arendt, I always think he's talking about. Or I can dominate and seek to control others. But in the end, I says, well, he's just looking at his relation to others from his own viewpoint, his existential project. Am I authentic? Or am I not authentic? Uh, How do these others form a part of my sense of myself? That is an ontological understanding for Levinas, of how we relate to others. And again, he's not denying it, because of course we do do that. But he says there's this other relationship to uh, the other, which is completely lacking in Heidegger's ontological analysis, where the other calls into question my existence. And that, for Levinas, calls ethics.
0: So that's where the infinity then comes in because uh heidegger of course is the thinker of finitude and yeah. levinas is the thinker of infinity so heidegger would say as we talked about when you were last on the podcast you know that the mm-hmm. fact that i die that i come to an end that i am a finite being is precisely yeah. the thing which most constitutes uh, my existence now yeah. levinas saying is i'm um, from what you're saying he would say that's okay that's fine however yeah. we we still have an idea of infinity or not so much that we have it, but it's uh, imposed upon us by the interruption of others, otherness. Is that, is that right?
1: Yes, I mean, yes, absolutely. I mean, he is he is contrasting with Heidegger in that in in, in some in, in infinity. I mean, again, it's a, he, what he doesn't. He doesn't. It's not a it's not a numerical or mathematical infinite. I mean, he doesn't mean the infinite by that way. I mean, there are two sources for his notion of the infinite. One is um, uh, Descartes and the other, in a far a little bit more mysterious way, is Rosenzweig. When mean, the Descartes one is a little more simple than that, because he's just, he, what it comes down to is one of the, the key questions in totality infinity is okay. So you're going to have to, you're going to define ethics to be this way in which the, an, an egotistical, selfish, uh, being who simply enjoys the world and its possessions is, is called in, called to tasks by the other. So which, you know, so essentially ethics is for Levinas. How can we conceive of, of selfish egotism being, being interrupted? How can I put my, put others before myself? That's very uh, well, basic, as not that... Sorry, sorry. Oh yeah, it's very basic. Yeah, I, I know.
0: I'm not saying I don't mean that in a, you know as a, as as it's you know simple or bad or not complex. Yeah. I mean it in the sense that it's you know if ethics if it's about to be if, if ethics is going to be about anything it should be about some kind of resistance to selfishness. Yeah, I mean
1: that's. I mean I always think that philosophy is very basic. It's just. Very basic ideas are very hard to think when you actually follow their consequences. So yeah, I do think you know when in his interviews Levinas is very gives very simple ideas when people ask him what ethics is. Like oh well, it's like putting opening a door and saying after you. I mean you couldn't have anything more basic. So uh, so um, what Levinas what I want to say is but there's a very um, methodological problem being in Levinas' totality which is kind of a bit overlooked. Is that, of course, Levinas says? Well, for a subject to be open to the demand of the other, such that it, the subject places the other before itself, uh, including Levinas would say its own relationship to its own mortality, then the subject has to be has to be a kind of being in some way that is capable of that. So. The 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 I think some of the more interesting things in Levinas, people tend to focus more on the relation to the other, because it's kind of sexy to think about others and transcendence and all that. But the real key question turned to infinity is well what kind of self do I have to be such that I could even be open to the demand of the other? So then that's and now the real interesting question is that Levinas wants say you can't ground that in, in a decision because then you would have placed ethics on the side of the self. So if I say to, I say to myself, oh, I'm so amazing, look how sensitive I am. I, you know, Every day I wake up, I think about the refugees drowning in the Mediterranean. What an amazing being I am. Which, I don't <laughs> think that would
0: be very ethical. <laughs> so <laughs> so that, that, that would be virtue signaling, as the right would say.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think there's a modern form of it. Yeah, so virtue signals a real problem in Lebanon because he, this, oh, this, this possibility which he calls messianic, that I can place others before myself, cannot have its source in me. Right. Because so in what would way would I be placing my, others before myself if I could say to a heart, oh, it's me who's doing it?
0: Well, one of the things that's interesting about that to me is I think you you alluded to Descartes, and uh, yeah. he's got a very good essay uh, in a collection. I think it's called "Of a God Who Comes to Mind." Yeah, and he does. Yeah. He does it. He, he has an essay in there. I think that might. I'm not sure if that's the name of the collection or the actual essay, but in mm-hmm. there he talks about um, he talks about Descartes and uh, in terms of the, you know the great thinker of the self and the cogito. Mm-hmm. I think therefore I am. But what is interesting to me in that about Levinas is that Levinas, uh, he takes Descartes' constructive philosophy, you know, kind of the one that we all forget about. So, you know, the proofs of God's existence, the proofs of the external world and, uh, you know, the idea of uh, sort of uh, the infinity. But he said he kind of says that what Descartes actually shows is that the mind is not actually something self-contained. It's actually got the idea of infinity within it, which cannot yeah. originate in the self, right? Because it's by definition, the self is is uh, is finite and limited uh, to its own cognition.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that that's the that's the source of the idea of the infinite in Leibniz. So, what he takes from he's done this slide, but interested in Descartes' ontological proofs, of course. But um, what he's interested in is, if you like, the logic of. Descartes' argument, this notion that the sub contains more than it's possible for it to contain, and that it's, if you like, uh, interrupted from within. So, so in a certain sense, the weird the weird narrative of Totality Infinity appears as you're reading it that you go from here's a concrete self enjoying enjoying its beer on a nice summer afternoon uh, and then suddenly is suddenly, uh, overcome by the thought of the suffering of others. So you like, kind of it's like, if you think of it, kind of like a narrative. So you seem to go from the self and then you end up with this other. But actually, it's a bit more complicated than that because what we discovered by the end of totality affinity is that this subject must have already been interrupted by the demand of the other even to be open to this other that demands justice from it that so increasingly levinas's work becomes about thinking about subjectivity and actually i don't think he really is a philosopher of the other in the way that people think about him i kind of see there's a kind of for might use, such a horrible neologism, a kind of buberization of Levinas. Uh, sorry,
0: Actually, a, a buberization? Say, <laughs> yeah, Martin, Martin Buber,
1: yeah, I, Thou kind of stuff. I think, I think Levinas is, is a philosopher of subjectivity. He's trying to rethink the meaning of subjectivity. And that becomes, of course, much, even more obvious in his second uh, major work, Otherwise Than Being, that he's, a, he, he's trying to think about how, how can we rethink the meaning of subjectivity such that, uh, the ethical relation to others would be possible. And then we have this idea of a kind of, uh, um, a, uh, a, a, to use his language, a denucleated subject, a subject that's interrupted and broken from within. That's so a traumatized subjectivity. And it, it's this, it's this, the fact that for Levinas, if you like, the demand of the other is at the heart of the subject is, which is in some peculiar way the condition for the possibility of justice is increasingly the topic of his work. So that infinity is that description um, of how the subject is undone from within contains more in itself than it's possible for it to contain. Also Uh, equally uh, with Rosenzweig, I uh, which might interest you in really, you know, is that there's a notion I know nothing of,
0: about Rosenzweig, so I'm being educated here. <laughs>
1: yeah. There's a notion of Rosenzweig of the, the distinction between eternity and the uh, and, and infinity in the sense of a numerical infinity. And what is it, what is there's another notion of infinity which kind of Levinas does at the end, which I must say it's very, very difficult. And which anything with Rosenzweig is, and it's the notion of the infinity of generations. So, you know uh, that one way in which Levinas thinks about the interrupted self is through the relation between the father and the son, or in your case, the father and the daughter. That my my child is both me and not me. Now, I would say that. You know, this is what, and in one sense how Levinas tries to get us to think about what might be wrong with, with Heidegger's analysis of being towards death. Because he wants to say that the, 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 the child is not, it is me, but it's not me. The child isn't just my project. Bec- why? Because I probably sacrificed myself for my child. I put them before myself.
0: That makes a lot of sense to me, actually. I was just thinking about this the other day because I I was uh, I was looking at my daughter. I was thinking of parenting. Right. And I was going like, if you look at parenting, right, it's something there's something profoundly narcissistic about it because, you know, they they look kind of like you. They sound kind of like you. They inherit you. They kind of like you you know yeah. you're their main care provider and in a yeah. sense that's a reaffirm- reaffirmation of the self but i guess 11 yeah. Le- has to showing something else that it's uh that there's something uh disruptive in that relation because it's well it's it's uh the, the infinity of generations is actually disrupting your own financial because one thing a yeah. kid reminds you of is the fact that uh, you got you don't have long left
1: exactly so there's that there's that notion of infinity as well so the infinity of generations, but, you know, not the way that Aristotle thinks about the infinity of generations, which is merely the, the eternal nature of the substance of species. But the infinity of generations is an ethical idea. Lots of times when I think about Leibniz, he's just saying you take whatever you take in the metaphysics of substance or ontology and then think of it, well, what would be the ethical meaning of that? Because, you know, so that that's kind of one of his one of his tricks if you like and that's why when i when i talk about levinas i say that no it's more like ontology if you think about ethics in terms of morality like we started this conversation then i don't think i think levinas just sounds really weird but if you think that what he's talking about is what normally people talk about in terms of ontology then you're a bit closer to where he's where he's coming from
0: yeah you're 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 kind of running against the grain there, will I think, aren't you? Because I mean, most of the, at least what I've seen of the sort of the, the scholarly uh, work on Levinas, it's kind of you know, infinity good, totality bad. But you're saying uh, there's a more complicated. Yeah. Sorry to be sort of yeah. <laughs> brutally simplistic about it, yeah. but that's that's kind of the idea, is and that's how it's received at least.
1: Yeah, I call it a kind of sentimental Levinas. There's no doubt. I mean, I kind of agree with Alain Badieu when he's when, in his book. Whose uh, name has just escaped me, but it has evil in it or something. Can you remember it?
0: Uh, Ethics: An Essay on the Understanding of Evil, and his point That's is it. that Levinas is actually quite sort of sentimental. Yeah, that makes sense. It's about it's about uh going back to that kind of virtue signaling, signaling notion we we're talking about. It is actually yeah. the yeah. overvalorization of the infinite in the other is actually more about me reappropriating my own goodness rather than what Levinas is actually talking about.
1: Yeah, I think I think you know what is the name. And With that stupid bear that the BBC do every day with a bandage over its eye.
0: Oh, <laughs> you got me.
1: <laughs> you know, it's that red Day thing.
0: Oh, like comic relief, whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and uh, Bugsy, I don't know. Bugsy the bear. I'm be just making that up. But, you know, let, uh, Badger says look, you know, the point is all these people can pay their five quid and feel really good about themselves, but they can do nothing to change the world, which actually is the origin of this evil. No, so we can we can look at uh, refugees dying, or, or you know, we can give our five pounds to to Christian a, a Christian Aid or something, and then we absolve ourselves. Well, we don't look at the structural inequality of the world, which actually is the cause of the of this suffering. So I think Badger's point is quite correct about that. I do think the object of Badger's critique is not Levinas but Levinasians. I mean, he's quite careful about that. that Levinas is much more interesting thinker than uh, Levinasians. Uh, so yeah, so it's like you know there is this kind of sentimental Lebanassian uh, discourse, I think, which kind of misses some of the complexity in Levinas, And that sentimental always tends to kind of have, I believe, a kind of sentimental view of the other. Uh, and to me, that kind of language just seems to me a kind of, just is a kind of form of colonialism, really.
0: Yeah. So it
1: just, it just fills me, you know, when I just think, oh God, it's just terrible. Do you remember like that, um, no, I mean I'll, I'll not talk about it. But yeah, I, I just think that yeah, you've got to try and avoid that. And I just think that it's a the lot of
0: overvalorization people, of uh, the victim as the well, other,
1: isn't it? Yeah, sentimental the other. Oh, look at the poor other, you know. Oh, and then feeling good about yourself because you know it's a kind of open it would open you up, I think, to a kind of Nietzschean critique of pity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, was, I was, I was about to say there's a sort of a, a sort of a, a critique of charity in there, which of, yeah. of course Nietzsche is the the, the great criticizer of christian Christi- christian charity because yeah, what you're yeah. actually doing with charity is your uh it's it's an assertion of hierarchy as in i'm in this yeah. place the other the other person is of a lesser status and uh isn't it awful yeah. that they're bad and i'm effectively getting off on it
1: yeah yeah it's like i you mean know, i say oh look at how wonderful i am I, how i how how i feel for the suffering of because I'm amazing. It's insufferable, isn't it? It's awful. It's insufferable, yeah. So I think there is a lot of that kind of sentimental Uh, Levinas. But I don't see that in his work because I kind of read his work backwards, I suppose, from otherwise than being back into totality infinity. And they're saying, oh, yeah, there's things already going on in totality infinity. So I would say there are two kinds of ways in which Levinas thinks about the relation to the other. There's the traditional way that people think about uh and there's no doubt that that's a kind of dominant conception of the other in levinas's early work that is the, you know the, the kind of uh transcendent other that it calls me into question from outside of my experience through speech uh but then there's this other other which is this intimate other that disrupts me from within uh that destructures my subjectivity and actually if you look at it is the conditional possibility of this relationship to the transcendent other it is it, a completely other way of thinking of alterity it's an it's um, as levinas puts it in other ways than being it is the other within me not not an external other and it's this other that that uh, that uh, interrupts if i might use that word disturbs overwhelms the subject from within and, and I just think that's a completely other way of thinking about the other, and is miss, is is missing in a lot of the uh, commentaries on Lebanese. They tend to emphasize the transcendent other
0: so do you think then that it's because you said it's about ethics is actually a lot more uh, about ethical subjectivity than he's given credit for so yeah. is it is the question then the extent not so much the distance between me and the other but how the other changes me are? engenders ethicality, ethical behaviour in me, or in some way that I participate in, in otherness also because of the disruption of uh, alterity or otherness?
1: Yeah, I mean, all those are good questions. I think those kind of come at the end, really. So, uh, again, when we start, I say, well, Levinas really isn't about uh, lecturing you about how you should behave or giving you directions in certain ways you should behave or conduct yourself in the same way that it would be ridiculous to read heidegger's being in time as a manual for living mm-hmm. i mean i know there's a temptation to but it's not really about that it's about what are the what are the fundamental structures of uh, human being and how does it relate to the general question of being itself so you know so heidegger would say well i'm gonna you know through concrete analysis of everyday activity i'm gonna say well this is this is fundamentally the structure of uh, the being of Darzan. I would say well, that Levinas is kind of doing the same way. He's just saying, well, if su- if ethics or justice is possible, what kind of subjectivity must there be? And the, and the key, as I say, the key question for Levinas is, what kind of subjectivity must there be if we're going to say that the origin of ethics is not a decision, a choice, or an act of comprehension? So it's not me deciding to be ethical. It's not me thinking about being ethical. It's not me uh, constructing some kind of uh, process through which I am ethical. There's something further back for Levinas. Uh, so, and that's what he's interested in, I would say.
0: Yeah. Uh, one of the other, sort of the other thing that I wanted to ask you, on, uh, as a link to that, is on the question of totality. Because yeah. as I understand it, uh, you say that totality is linked to ontology and Levinas is trying to rework that. But isn't, uh, you know, especially given uh, Levinas sort of background, um, he was a he was a prisoner of war, if I recall. Um, he was for period. Yeah. Um, but like totality in Levinas is usually seen as a critique of totalitarianism of a sort or that that. You know, that the infinite, infinite, or our experience of the infinite, if you could put it that way, is uh, about overcoming this urge within us to overcome this drive to totality that humans have. Mm. And of course, the absolute expression of that then is in totalitarianism, when you have this drive to absolute control, absolute sovereignty, absolute systematization. Mm. Is that in the background of totality, infinity?
1: Yeah there, there's that connection as well because there is a relationship between ethics and politics for Levinas but again it's not it's not a, a relation it's not a trans it's not a translation And again, I think people get very confused because they they want translations they want to say well how can we translate this ethics into a politics as though the relationship between between ethics and politics is just a question of translatability and it certainly isn't for Levinas I think the way to think about uh, what Levinas means by totality, is for him, it is a, an ontological discourse. There's any discourse which relates terms in a relation through a third term that is higher than the terms in relation. Now, that sounds really abstract. But if you think, the way I do think about it is a kind of schema that you get in Plato's Republic, and it's one that Levinas uses quite a lot to explain what he means by this. And that's the explanation of seeing in, uh, when um, Socrates asked Glaucon, how is it that we can see objects in the world? And this is the, that conversation is the beginning of these, that kind of amazing sequence of analogies from the form of the good and then to, which ends in the, in the cave analogy. Uh, And, and, and uh, uh, Glaucon answers Socrates says, well, you know, we see things because we have eyes and there are objects in the world you can see. And Socrates says, yeah, that's that's true. You know, you have to have eyes to see. And if there weren't any objects to be seen, then yeah, there wouldn't be any any sight. But Socrates says, haven't you missed a third thing? And I think in Greek, it's a, a Ginos Tripton. And he says a third type of being there. And he says, well, you know, if there wasn't any sun that was illuminating this scene, you wouldn't be able to see anything. There has to be this this third thing. And that this third thing is what, uh, Heidi, uh, sorry, Plato calls the uh, Epicania teseus, being beyond beings, and then the sun, of course, as you know, for, is is the analogy to the forms of good and that thing. And it's this idea that Levinas says is that in ontology, you can only explain the terms in the relation by a third term, which is kind of miraculated out of out of the relation. So you've got the 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 eye, the person, the seer, and the scene, or you have the 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 light that makes this relation possible and that's Levinas says that is the kind of fundamental way that ontology is portrayed in Western philosophy and he includes Heidegger in that so he would say the ontological difference, difference between being and beings is, is still follows the schema although as he explains in otherwise ways in being that it, it does so in a very new way so being is no longer thought of as a substance or a thing but uh, some kind of supernatural entity, but it's seen as a verb, a process. But nonetheless, it still operates by this idea that uh, we think about beings through being, which is a common term to all beings. So that essentially is what Heidegger, what, sorry, Levinas understands ontology to be. How that becomes dangerous at a political level, and you could see this playing out in Heidegger's life as well, well as soon as that you think about people in terms of a third anonymous being then it's perfectly possible to sacrifice them to that so so levinas the source of all totalitarianism is ontology because ontology is the way in which we abstract from face to face relations through third terms the categories uh, or universalities which we abstract the instrumental yeah, we 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 basically we basically treat people as token of types. So we think of them as belonging to sets. You know, so you know if I'm going, you know, so which for Levinas is again, he's not he, he's not saying that uh, uh, that is wrong per se, because without that there would no kind of rational rational uh, rationality would be possible if we weren't capable of abstraction. He's just saying that it, that is the if you like the dangerous ontological seed that can affect politics, because what is the source of all violence are, is abstractions. How better do, do we justify killing others except through religious, moral and intellectual and ontological categories? We, you know, that's why Levinas says, you know, um, murder is impossible ethically. It's only possible ontologically.
0: That brings me on to another sort of famous Levinasian concept. Thanks, that's helpful. So what you're talking about there is... Levinas is someone who thinks comes out of phenomenology, and phenomenology is kind of like about the discourses of appearances, which you talked about in Plato, and what are the conditions of those appearances, Mm -hmm. and it's when those appearances are put subservient to the instrumental that we can maybe then start thinking about how we can use people or sacrifice at them at the altar of something uh, greater than ourselves or whatever. But for Levinas, as I understand it, of all the things that appears in the world around me, of all the things I see, there are certain things which uh, are exceptional or epiphanic. Uh, yes. And in Totality Infinity, I think it is, uh, the face is the most one of the most striking of all appearances. Mm. Uh, it's something singular, extraordinary. And it's therefore resistant to instrumentalization. Is that a, a yeah. right summary of what he's trying to do yeah. with that?
1: Absolutely. Again, you know, the, I, Levinas will probably say to you the face is not really a phenomenon. Because uh, he do- he doesn't mean the face in terms of ontology, so he'd be he'd be saying, "Oh, you're still you're still thinking about the face as though it was a kind of being, and it was just some it's just a kind of supernatural being."
0: Yeah, so it's not and, someone, it's not like you know, big lips, like or bad teeth, or yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's not, cheeks or
1: whatever. It's very, yeah. Very, yeah, it's we have a tendency, I think, to to supernaturalize Lebanon. so we think, oh, there must be some supernatural attribute of others that make them others something special and unique about them. Uh, and I just think that leads to my, kind of complete mystification and actually can lead to kind of the worst, I feel, mystical readings of Levinas, you know, and I don't think it's it's not as concrete phonology. So I would say to people, look, what Levinas means by the face is not the face. If you think about the face as a physiognomy, he simply means the act of speaking. And, and that's that, So the face. for levinas is a category of speech not vision i should really use the word category but i can't think of a word i'll tell you what i mean by an everyday experience because i think it really is grounded in everyday experience for levinas just as darsein's being is for heidegger you know i catch the train to work every day and most of the time i catch the train i ignore everybody on that train they're not they're not others they're just obstacles hindrances you know i'm thinking oh god stop being so slow Try to go on this train. I'm thinking, oh, my God, if all these people get on this train, I won't get a seat, and then I'll have to stand up.
0: I feel oh, pain. Know.
1: Why is this? What is this old person doing? Why are they so slow? Occasionally, now, when I can tell you time, you know, uh, I was sitting in a, in a, on a cross-country train. you know, the one that goes to Manchester. And, you know, what's the most horrible thing that can happen to anybody on a train in England?
0: Uh, one a, of the most horrible. An assault?
1: Things. No. I would say one of the most horrible things is somebody speaks to you. <laughs>
0: okay a yeah. stall well, I, I <laughs> <I,
1: laughs> would just be would be a ama- mate would be much better than that but yeah so you know you you've got your your are sitting in your seat the seat next to you is empty the person says uh, can i sit in that seat if you're lucky and you go oh my god i was really hoping to have all this by myself you know people even put bags on the seats to stop people sitting on them
0: oh they're the worst
1: <laughs> yeah so somebody sits in the seat right and you think oh that's pretty terrible and then the worst thing happens they start talking to you so what happened to me one day is somebody somebody sat on my sat next to me and uh, they started speaking to me And my initial thing is oh my god i've got a mad person sitting next to me and that's your initial thing I've, oh my god yeah but actually what it, what it was it was a young it was a young doctor and she was speaking to me and I couldn't know why she was speaking to me, I don't know. But then she started telling me about her life and what she thought and her ideas and blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly she became a person for me, uh, you know. And that's what I understand what Levinas means by ethics. You know, there's no longer, I'm not relating to people as obstacles and hindrances. You know, the, and that's kind of what Levinas is saying is how Davidas work world is. These people are just in the way of my in order to my existential project. What are they doing? Get, you know, I've got to get to work and do the thing that really expresses my being teaching. That's my authentic project. Others are just like getting in the way of this. But this other, this woman who spoke to me and I turned and listened to her. She interrupted my everyday world. So she had a face Levinas would say all the others were faceless. This person. Yeah. And it was in that, in it's in the moment of speech, especially being addressed by another. Yeah, uh, that language
0: of address particular is speech act, Sorry. that
1: Levinas understands the face. Sorry, I interrupted
0: you, go on. Uh, I suppose that, that you know, uh, the, uh, the language of address is interesting there because yeah. it isn't kind of Levinas' idea that it's an appeal, that the face is an appeal or a demand, or uh, it, it requires a response uh, to the humanity yeah. of the other person.
1: Yeah, it's you know what the what the Nazi does not see in the Jew is the Jew has no face. The Jew is just a It's just a thing, an obstacle, a hindrance. I mean, I'm not saying that my my selfish, egotistical attitude to fellow train passengers is just like a Holocaust. And of course, I'm not saying, but there's a degree of that. You know, you can see how through uh, categorizations and labeling and designations uh, and objectifications how they become the seeds of violence. And what Levinas is saying to you is, you know, I always understand what Levinas is saying is, Kant does not save the Nazi. No, the morality is not sufficient. Because if people cease belonging, if you like, to the ethical world, no morality will save them. Because we will dehumanize them there are moral categories. We'll just think of them, well, they're not really human, are they? So why should I apply my categorical imperative to them? The, you know, the way that Kant, for example, talks about black people and Jews and women in, a, in his anthropological lectures. No, they're not real real beings, so I don't really have to apply the categorical imperative. Or, you, you know, you these, don't, sure these the- people don't belong to my utility calculus because they're subhuman.
0: One of the things that you've mentioned at the outset, and I'd just like to sort of maybe get you to clarify here, because you're saying in as there is a distinction between ethics and uh, morality. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie... um... Oh, Election, it's got Reese Witherspoon and it. It's just sort of a, great, po- a great,
1: film.
0: Yeah, great political satire, but in that, they kind of go, the teachers are kind of, you know, sort of, you know, boring, technocratic, uh, domineering yeah. types, and they go, uh, we need to understand the difference between ethics and morality, and everyone's yeah. like, well, what's the difference? Uh, but, of course, uh, the idea is that now we just conflate those two terms, you know, ethics is morality, yeah. morality is ethics, but you're saying that they're quite radically separate. and uh, yeah. I mean, to the philosophers here, that makes perfect sense. Like you know, sort of because ethics is ethics is uh, Greek and morality is uh, Roman. Yeah. But yeah. I was wondering, could you maybe uh, explain that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I mean, semantically, there's no difference because I mean, morality is just the Latin translation of ethos. You know, so ethics, of course, is the Greek word, but they both mean the same thing semantically. So if you went to a dictionary. There's nothing. So, then, so, kind of, it's the distinctions of neologism is a pure invention. Uh, but that's what philosophers do, don't they? They just take ordinary new words and distort them. So, I'm just saying that the the that uh, that ethics is something very, very small for Levinas, but but extraordinarily world shatteringly important. You no, know, I think about it. You know, think about the Iraq War. You know, think as we were raining bombs down on women and children. We, you know, families like you have ordinary human beings, and we're raining bombs down upon them. We do so in the language of morality, don't we? We talk about freedom, we talk about democracy, we talk about equality. These beautiful, beautiful building, worlds. yeah, yeah. But they, they, they. So what Levinas wants to say is, without ethics, these are very, very dangerous words, because. We always justify violence against others through the most beautiful language. It's, you know, it you know, is. It, it's, it's not. It's. It's not. Um, it's not uh, unfeasible to understand that. So I, I think, for me, ethics is something very, very ordinary for Levinas. You know, he says all my work is written under the cloud of uh, the Holocaust. Auschwitz. You know, his whole family was murdered by the Nazis. What he's interested in is, is what he wants. What he's interested in is this. It's precisely this ethical, this tiny ethical supplement that is lacking. But it's the absence of this tiny ethical moment which is the the uh, source of a vast river of violence that sweeps through there through the world. Yeah.
0: So, on that front, then, given the nature of the world, I mean. I'd, I'd like to get your sort of thoughts on that. We got like lots of uh, stuff in store for us humans, you know, between automation. but <laughs> the- yeah, well, it's, it's not like- looking too good for your daughter. No. <laughs> so what's yeah. like you know say say something like oh, I don't know and um, yeah say something like uh, the environment. Um, on the surface, at least, one would say that uh, ethic uh, Levinas and maybe maybe this is the case. Uh, Levinas is absolutely useless to talk about this real uh, impending urgency that we need to, to to face down you know sort of um the collapse of all human existence but uh yeah. the apocalypse but uh what I, I guess what i'm what i what i'm driving at is um how can you how, would would as be uh, would a asian register be valuable for talking about something like the environment or nature yeah, I
1: mean, that's a really really good question i mean you're right i think to suggest not directly so uh, because Levinas' ethics has to do with human relations uh, and not directly... So, you know, he doesn't have an absolute conception of ethics. It's it's rela- relational. So I think Levinas would say is, you know, if you get some radical ecology, which will talk about, oh, the planet has an absolute value in itself, I think Levinas, I think quite rightly would say that's kind of a lot of metaphysics you're smuggling into that. Um, but uh, so... For Levinas, but I would say, I mean, Levinas doesn't talk, as far as I'm aware, talk directly about environment. But if you were going to try and uh, think about the environment from a Levinasian's perspective, I think Levinas would say is that the origin of uh, the climate change is capitalism. And capitalism itself is a relation between human beings. And capitalism is, for Levinas, is a political relation uh, on an ontological relation and therefore inherently violent.
0: Right, and then then you can perhaps begin to think about how we might relate that to the persons yeah. involved, you know, so...
1: What yeah. so I'm saying... Go on, sorry. Yeah, no,
0: so d- does, the, does the moral decisions we make to save the environment, um, th- does that need to be sort of disrupted by some sense of otherness or others? Or that's something yeah. we need to take into consideration... When we were yeah, trying
1: I mean Levinas describes this this relation. You no, know, this this little vignette I described, we sitting on this train and and turning to listen to this woman and directly addresses me in her speech. Levinas calls that anarchy. I mean, that's how he describes it. It's, an, it's anarchy because it disrupts the the political order. But for, so I would think that uh, it would be like, I suppose, the analogous would be like a kind of Marxist critique a Marxist understanding of climate change, it would situate it within capitalism itself. You know, it wouldn't, so it would be talking about, well, how have, how have we constructed the world, an economic world order, whose consequences are our own destruction?
0: Yeah, so that the, the anarchic element is interesting, isn't it? Because, hmm. you know, it's, because uh, 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 he, uh, he seems to be saying that the most anarchic thing of all, it's the ethical relation. It's actually, yeah. you know, I know, like you said, it is sort of a very banal sense about sort of a, an encounter you had on a train. Uh, yeah. but, it's, but it's like, you know, that that's actually the most disruptive of all is just being uh, being being good. <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I tried, I gave, I gave a banal description because I, I want to resist the, the spiritualization and, and mysticism that surrounds some of, I think, the writings of, of Levinas. And they, they turn the other into some kind of divine being, which is beyond speech and, you know, something incapable we cannot think it, etc., etc. And it kind of it comes to kind of form of negative theology. Whereas I, I don't think, I don't see that in Levinas at all. I just see, like Heidegger, he's describing everyday, Experiences, which in terms of themselves are are almost nothing, but th- the consequences, or if you like, the absence of them, is is for Lebanon is is uh, is like what happens in uh, in uh, what happened in Nazi Germany, or what happened in Rwanda, or what ha- is currently happening in uh, Yemen. The absence of this these the uh, this this ethical moment is, is uh, has profound and horrible consequences. But it is is an anarchy because it's not based on a political order.
0: And it's an abstraction as well, isn't it? Or no, it's a a resistance to abstraction rather. It's a
1: resistance to abstraction. And and, and again, when we start the conversation, we talk about the difference between morality and ethics. This is repeating this, saying that, oh yeah, ethics is something anarchical. Which Levinas says is something that cannot be reduced to an order.
0: So uh, I in terms of I mean Levinas's influences, uh I'd just like to sort of bring things to a close now because we've been talking for about an hour. Yeah, um, I've got it go to work anyway. <laughs> this is I work can't well. But enjoyable. so yeah, so um I know Levinas' is influenced by Husserl, by Heidegger, uh yeah. by Rosenweig, you say, and uh yeah. He's also, you know, he's influenced by sort of the, some of the great uh, writers. Um, you know, Proust, is, I think, is working in the background there. Uh, what about where you see Levinas' influence? You know, I know he's quite. Uh, he's got sort of a, a very kind of a complicated, strained relationship with Derrida, for example. But, you know, yeah. where, do, where do you see sort of the next generation of Levinas thinkers? What do you see them doing or what do you see as, as exciting?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that... Um... It's very hard to talk about influences really from such a a close perspective. It'd be like, I mean, it's ridiculous to say this. It'd be like saying, you know, uh, talking to somebody uh, uh, 10 years after Plato's death. How many, what kind of influence do you think Plato would have? (laughs) <laughs> you know, certain, thinking 3,000 years later, what kind of influence he had. All so the that, it's going to yeah. be difficult for me to predict or say, what, I mean, he might just disappear. I mean, many great thinkers have just vanished from it. But I think that um, I can only say what I suppose that I find the interesting views about Lebanese are. I find them really that a lot of people who are using Lebanese to think in terms of uh, post-colonial studies uh, are very, very interesting. Uh, around the notions of, of uh, thinking about uh, prisons and how they operate. Um, so I find that the, some of the more interesting writing of Levinas are taking in areas that you wouldn't normally associate with Levinas, which is more, I suppose, concrete, sociological and political things. Because I think that Levinas is one of those thinkers that you can use to kind of tear things up a bit, uh, you know, you get to look at problems in a different way. So I think there's a very strong political dimension uh, in a lot of contemporary Levinasian scholarship. The other end of it is that I suppose there's a lot of people, uh, some people are interested in Levinas in terms of philosophy and religion, uh, how to think religion in a different way. Well, because of one of the one of the um, major, of course, influences on, on uh, Levinas' work is not just philosophy and literature as you described, but also uh, the Jewish tradition. Uh, you know his Talmudic writings so there's a lot of people interested in that area and I suppose I don't know really I mean what what I mean do you still read Levinas or has he gone off your radar now
0: uh I probably uh, no I don't read Levinas uh uh, I I mean there was a time I read a lot of it Uh, yeah I I tried to dip dip into it for for teaching to prep and stuff like that you know Yeah. But not in the. Uh, I think there was a kind of a period where the Levinasians were in the ascendancy. Maybe I don't know. Maybe ten years ago. But uh... <laughs>
1: like like a tribe, tribe <laughs> of Levinasians sweeping <laughs> over the hill. Strangely, I mean, I've just uh, I've just written uh, a chapter for the Oxford Handbook on Levinas, and there's a, there's a big interest of Levinas in analytic ethical metaethics, because of really? course there's a very there's a very uh, they like Levinas in the because it gets they find it useful in a way to follow that kind of Bernard Williams kind of Wittgensteinian almost, or somebody who think about something like Raymond Gator, you know, a uh, kind of way of thinking about um, uh, ethics more in terms of an experience rather than some, rather in terms of some kind of rational justification, and there is an interest in in, in Levinas in uh, in. Uh, analytic contemporary analytic ethical theory as well that's, which is again it's a very interesting way that levinas has has uh i mean if you're going to ask me i mean i might be particularly biased but i feel that levinas will have will last longer than Derrida.
0: that's uh that's that's quite possible i mean it's it's uh, it's funny i mean usually i mean as you know like uh We've been doing this a long time, you know that, that these these fads come and go, and it's usually yeah, yeah. when a when a when a when a fad recedes, you know. Like, I mean, what do we have? We had we have we have in my time, we've had uh, Derrida post structuralism, we've had Levinasian ethics. Žižek was really, really 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 hip there for a while, <laughs> and it, it's usually when you know when that the dust settles around that that those whole yeah. kind of um uh, cyclical fads that then you can start doing some interesting work. I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. I just think that Levinas is. uh, We need to get away from the sentimental Levinas. That's what I
0: think. Okay, hardcore Levinas coming out. Yeah, Yeah. hardcore (laughs) Levinas. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thank you very much, Will. That was fantastic. It's a pleasure.